Welcome to Blooming, a podcast by 20-somethings for 20-somethings, navigating how to grow up. I'm Tessa. And I'm Britt. And we'll be your co-hosts. This week, we are talking to a very special guest, all the way from Melbourne, who will be chatting with us about all things sex in your 20s. Yes, this is such an exciting episode. I can't wait. (laughs) But before we get into it, let's keep it brief because I know this is going to be a long chat. Big episode to get into. So how was your week? Yeah, my week was not very noteworthy. I didn't really get up to anything that exciting. It's just, you know, an average week. Do you ever have those just average weeks? Yes, Nothing definitely. Nothing new to report. I did celebrate one of my close friend's birthdays on the weekend, so that was nice. I got all the girls together, which is so hard these days. Oh, it's so hard yeah. with adulting schedules. Exactly. So we all put this in our calendar a few months ago, and yes, it was so much fun. But what about you? How's your week? Um, I want to start off by saying, like, wow, you guys are loving the real content. Like, <laughs> I love that us pretending to be amateur actors is crazy. Creating so much joy. My favorite is Tessa with the binge. <laughs> like I've watched it so many times. It's so funny. JJ was like to me last night or the other night, like, are you watching that again? And I was like, <laughs> yes, because it's so funny. Actually, this is a little um, back BTS like info about how that came to be. Um, my mum actually suggested we do that during our mum's episode. She was like, you guys should do this reel. And because she's on TikTok, she's all over the TikTok. Love that. <laughs> and she suggested it. And then Tessa and her mum actually filmed. <laughs> yes, my mum was behind the camera. It was a team effort between <laughs> us and our mums. And I think it was worth it. It was pretty funny. But yeah, other than that, my week's been good. And also, I think I, I sent you this on Snapchat. I've been walking around like our local area and there's a pet pigeon missing. Yeah, oh, yes, I saw this. It's like, please return Aww. missing pet pigeon. I Again, I don't know if you're allowed to keep I'm pigeons as pets. Also not sure about that. Like, let it go back with its pigeon friends in the wild. <laughs> Should we jump into our adulting wins and adulting fails? Yes, let's dive straight into it. So you go first. Okay, so my fail is kind of gross this week, but I just like was racking my brain and I couldn't think of anything that wasn't gross. So pre, pre-warning, pre um, oh the only reason I'm sharing this, preparing myself. this fact is to hopefully get some advice. Okay. So it's about our kitchen bins. Right. Um, so we don't put any liquid in them, anything gross. We like take straight to the main bin. Like we take them out really regularly. Anything that might leak, we like fully wash and dry before we put in the bins. But like the bin is leaking. It's still leaking, even with all of that. And so every time we take the bin out, there's like yucky, like I don't know, bin juice at the bottom of the bin. And then it also, like, the bin bag leaks the entire way to the main bin. So we, like, have left this, like, path of destruction and, like, this trail of shame from our apartment to the bin room, which we then have to clean because we feel bad, like... Otherwise, that's really gross. So we've, like, tried everything we can think of unless it's, like, the big the big unless the bin bags are like too thin but we've tried two different types of bin bags as well and getting the ones that are called like extra tough or whatever um one was just it's just like those plain white ones the next round the ones we're using at the moment are like the recyclable ones because we're trying to do our Mm. part yeah 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 but but they still have i think like the recyclable ones still have like a extra like it's called yeah extra tough or i don't know have like a a more also, deep look into it. How often are you changing it? Like, is the bin like too full to the brim? No, uh. like ev- like every few days. Mm. If it's not like overflowing and so heavy that it's tearing, no, yeah. it's not tearing. It's just like leaking. Yuck. Yeah, it's so. What gross. could it be? I don't know. I, we just like can't figure out what it could be. <laughs> like no idea. Yeah. So my adulting fail is that I can't master a kitchen bin, which I feel like is a basic <laughs> skill that I should know how to do. Probably. <laughs> yeah. But let's move on from the grossness that is bins. What do you have for me this week? Oh my God. I have a win this week. Yay. Okay. I'm going to come next week with a win. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Try really hard. I'm going to try so hard. I think I said on the podcast last end of last year that we bought a new couch. Yeah. And, and then last week, well, you said about something else that happened to that yeah. couch. Nala um, peed on the couch. <laughs> I think she was just, um, while we were away, you know, letting loose, like trying to like... Break the rules, push the limits. Push the limits, yeah, with um, our house sitter and she peed on the couch. 
much. Anyways, we were going to get it professionally cleaned because you have to get it professionally cleaned, I think, like, well, you're supposed to yeah. once every six months or 12 months oh, or something. that's not something I knew. Yeah, well, that's what they recommend just because, like, obviously you're sitting on it all the time. Yeah. More Ew. grossness we don't want to think about. <laughs> um, but so we were going to get it professionally cleaned, but we were like, oh, what if we just did it ourselves? Um, and one of our friends had an upholstery cleaner, like a steam cleaner type thing. And they lent it to us. So I spent the weekend like upholstery cleaning our couch. Fun. Fun adult thing, I thought. And I did it. And yeah, like saved us a bit of cash and also like just felt like very, <laughs> very adult for doing it you myself. Could, like <laughs> freelance out your skills. Like, <laughs> no, I would not. Side no, I'm not signing myself up to that. I did not enjoy a second of it. It was like very loud and very mm. like, well, wet. Because it's like... Yeah. <laughs> enough grossness though I just yeah that's my little win to well, myself fingers crossed Nala doesn't pee on the couch again hopefully no more I think we're probably going to invest in a new one maybe um I a mean, new couch you just no, sorry one. sorry I think a new dog <laughs> a new dog a new I mean not even a new we're, we're gonna buy our own upholstery cleaner okay. I think so that we can just be on top of it and clean it <laughs> regularly Fair or enough. like if little things happen like if someone spills something we can do it ourselves and clean it up straight away Before we jump into this segment, we want to give a quick content warning. In this conversation, we touch on a few topics which could be triggers for some listeners, including non-consensual sex and mental health issues. If you find this conversation triggering, please seek help via the details in our episode notes. So this week, we are talking to sexologist and founder of Melbourne-based business Pleasure-Centred Sexology, Cassandra Maroukis. Cass works with people who want to prioritize their pleasure and address factors that get in the way of pleasure, such as oppression, trauma, relationship challenges, and body dissatisfaction, as well as desire and arousal challenges, such as lower and higher desire and desire differences, sexual, pelvic and genital pain, navigating sex, pleasure for disabled and chronically ill folks. We are so excited to chat to Cass about all things sex in your 20s, but Firstly, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you both. So we're going to start off with the same question we ask all of our In Bloom guests, and that is what is an adulting win or adulting fail you've had for your week? <laughs> I love this question. Um, last night I was on live radio, I was on the hookup and it went well. <laughs> and I, I sometimes have um, a fairly intense anxiety and sort of like, feel a lot of nerves beforehand but I didn't wake up reg regretting it so I guess it's like a pretty big win for me that's Yay. such a win Yay. we we feel that exact same pressure and like nervous <laughs> energy as well yeah especially when oh. an episode goes live and we're like oh did we say something wrong right I know. is that going to be taken the wrong way <laughs> um, but no that is such a good win let's dive into it Cass, how did you start your career as a sexologist and then founding your own business what drew you to this field I started out um, with a bachelor in psychology and, and very early on in this degree, I recognized how pathologizing the psychology field um, really was. And I was also reading and learning about feminism and intersectionality and realized that sex and pleasure um, and, and well-being are such crucial areas to uh, most people's lives in, in some form or another. And those are often spaces that people can reclaim or advocate or you know challenge systems of oppression and so I guess you know from a bachelor of psych I went did a master of sexology and I've done relationship counseling courses and other things in between um, and then I founded my business because I, I realized that most other sexologists and counselors that sort of work in the sexual health space aren't anti-oppressive or they're not trauma-informed and I wanted to create something that really put pleasure and sex um, at the centre of those things as ways to challenge um, social, cultural or systemic factors. We love how pleasure-centred sexology covers not only physical intimacy but also emotional and intellectual intimacy. I think personally when I first started having sexual experiences I put 
less of a focus on the emotional and the intellectual intimacy but like throughout my 20s these types of intimacy have only been growing in importance to me and I've been like trying to be more aware of how each type of intimacy impacts the other types and work on my intimacy as a whole. Why do you think it's important people in their 20s develop their emotional, intellectual and physical intimacy? I guess like when, when we talk about intimacy, we do just sort of like use it interchangeably for sex, but it's not just sort of existing, you know, intimacy isn't about just connecting in a sexual way. And even within sex, it's not just physical, it is emotional, it's um, spiritual, it can be just physical on its own without having sexual components. And the same goes for pleasure. So when we look at things and when we practice in a way that is really sort of like Uh, holistic or encompassing like other realms you do get a deeper experiencing you're engaging multiple parts of the experience you're engaging your brain and your body together and doing those things like having a strong mind body connection is like where you have the best opportunity and and the most intense experience of pleasure and satisfaction yeah I think that's really interesting because I feel like definitely in our late teens and early 20s like the focus is, I guess, just around sex and you're not really taught or told about any of those other factors. And even in, yeah, I guess my education through school, that was never really a part of it either. And I think like that, like it's an educational piece that more people need to know about and be like awareness needs to be spread about. Absolutely. And sometimes emotional intimacy or, or intellectual intimacy, whether it's in a sexual way or not, people find that they feel the most connected to the people that they're with because they're they're engaging in those areas. Yeah, for sure. I think that because of societal norms, it's really common for women to shy away from having conversations about sex. Have you found in your work that this is a common sentiment among women? Yeah, absolutely. Like in my work, I've I've noticed that it's it's a common experience for a lot of people, but especially for people that they experience multiple um, identities or multiple oppressions like, you know, trans women and cis women and then black Indigenous people of colour, um, you know, people in larger bodies or disabled people. Um, and it's because there's such incredible stigma and, and shame around sex. We live in an intensely um, sex negative society and those things, you know, make it really hard to talk about sex. We're worried that our friends and family or partners will reinforce uh, the shame that we feel or sort of shame us further for, you know, whatever it is um, that we're trying to communicate that we want to explore more, that we want to learn about. Um, And it's really hard also because there's like these contradictory messages that say we have to be really good at sex, that we have to know everything about sex, but how do we get to those things without talking about them? (laughs) It's like they expect you to be an expert and you've had sex like once or twice. Or if you haven't That's even. That's what the culture yes, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's especially interesting for me. I come, a bit of background for me, I come from like a fair, fairly like I guess traditional family. So sex was just never talked about, never addressed, not like no conversations were ever had about it. And so for ages and even I'm still working on it for sure when I'm with a group of friends and they're all talking about their sexual experiences or anything to do with that, I just straight away like start feeling really uncomfortable and like don't contribute to the conversation at all. And it's something that I'm trying to get better at um, because I feel like it isn't something that you should feel like embarrassed about or ashamed to talk about. So leading on from that, the idea of like anxiety around discussing sex can you talk about the idea of like pleasure anxiety I know you discussed this on your Instagram recently and it's something neither of us had ever really deep dived into before so coming from yeah like I said a quite conservative or traditional family I'm interested in your take on it thanks for asking yeah pleasure anxiety is this um fear or difficulty in accessing pleasure despite like a wanting for it or knowing that pleasure actually does feel really good for you It might be like a fear of letting go or a fear of losing control Um, and it's something that is developed um, in society. It's something that we we learn and we internalise, especially around pleasure being an overindulgence or you can't experience pleasure unless it's um, earned or, you know, after you've worked really hard for that pleasure like you have to do a workout before you can eat something good or you have to do this work before you can go and have a rest or like have time off or whatever it is Um, but it also shows up when 
we learn that pleasure is dangerous. So, you know, if you're a person that is hypersexualized or desexualized, pleasure might feel really dangerous because if you want to experience pleasure, it feels like you're stepping into the stereotype of being a hypersexualized person, um, which really comes up for, for people um, in larger bodies or, you know, people of color or black people or trans people. Um, but it also comes from a society that teaches us just again to feel so much shame for enjoying or wanting what our bodies just do so naturally um, that those pleasures are dirty or wrong or they're sinful or immoral and doing those things will cause you problems later in life like you link you really link the two and so you have so much anxiety about experiencing such a normal thing yeah Mm. I think also like that I feel like would extend into like yeah being able to ask for what you want and kink shaming and all that kind of stuff it's that like when you feel so much anxiety around even wanting to have sex or wanting to be in that environment when it's then classified as not vanilla or normal sex which I think we'll talk about a bit later that would just add a whole other layer on and um, especially when you talked about different communities, it's not something either of us can relate to, but no. it's something that we can empathise with a lot. Yeah. In our 20s, we can be quick to jump into bed with someone without actually talking about our likes, dislikes, preferences first, which is completely fine, but sometimes it can lead to disappointing or uncomfortable sexual experiences. Can you talk to how this impacts our comfort and confidence in future sexual encounters? If you've been taught that your pleasure doesn't matter or that you're being a prude or that you're controlling for setting your boundaries and and boundaries are the things that work for you and the things that don't work for you as well. Um, But it can be really difficult to enjoy sex. It can be really difficult to enjoy pleasure or feel connected or feel safe enough during sexual encounters. And when these things aren't present, your likes, dislikes or preferences, um, the sex that you're having probably isn't for you. It's probably for whoever you're with. And because typically, you know, women and and queer people uh, are socialized to tolerate painful or uncomfortable or unwanted sex, it's, you know, it's um, never really going to be a satisfying experience. And also think that, you know, your confidence takes a really big hit. You know, if, if confidence is, say, trusting and knowing and you don't feel safe enough to communicate your preferences and, and you're having sex for other people's benefits, then how you feel about yourself is significantly impacted. It sort of it de- declines rapidly into shame and into regret and, and guilt and then mental illness or suicidation. Um, or self-harm all those things like it spirals rapidly because you know this initial thing where you can't set your boundaries I think it's really interesting you just mentioned that you like you can end up having sex just for the other person and not for yourself like I don't think I'd ever thought about it in that way well I guess I have because like in my early 20s I probably wasn't always comfortable to or felt empowered to talk about those things with my sexual partners I felt like I was just having the experience to please them and not actually thinking about myself which then ended up in not having a good boost to my confidence afterwards so leading on from this and how do we in our 20s or at any age ask for what we do want in the bedroom I think I, I don't know, I, I always get stuck on the like the fear of offending someone can be so high. Like you always hear about like, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings yeah. or I don't want them to tell them that they're doing it wrong because then obviously that leads to a hit to their confidence. So it's like, what's that fine line? It is so hard to sort of navigate this area. And I guess I first want to just acknowledge that because so many of us are socialised to be people pleasers or to put other people's needs before our own which then makes you know setting boundaries and communicating preferences feel like you're either letting someone else down or it's a serious risk um you know it's okay that it's hard it's okay to feel uh like setting boundaries and communicating during sexual settings uh are really challenging but I guess then like learning about the ways that you actually might prioritize other people's needs before your own like reflecting on that unpacking it unpacking why you do it um learning about you know who taught it to you like who is it benefiting because it's probably benefiting somebody else but it's probably not benefiting you as much um like how is it maintained in society sort of evaluating also like whether it's it's something that you want to change if you if you want to 
um, you know, not feel like you're offending somebody else, but you can communicate what you want. Um, that's kind of the first sort of pathway there. Um, but then you can sort of learn to ask for what you want by practicing it in safe and trusting relationships. And you're learning that as you, as you do it in say lower stakes contexts where maybe, you know, somebody asks you what you want to eat for dinner and you communicate what you want. Honestly, you realize that, Hey, I can say this without necessarily hurting their feelings that I can actually say yes to myself um, rather than saying no to what somebody else wants. And that's not going to impact them, but it will impact me if I don't say what I want. And so you're practicing it and you're learning that, you know, it might feel uncomfortable and you might feel, you know, afraid or anxious or nervous about how it will impact the other person. But you're learning that you can sit with those things, that you can handle them, you can survive them, that somebody else isn't going to be that impacted by it. Um, yeah, that's sort of the process and it's challenging and it takes a long time. It's often actually a lifelong process. Yes, practice makes perfect. <laughs> so I think people in their 20s also can sometimes struggle navigating their path to sexual discovery because like you touched on before, like historically it's been such a taboo topic. We love how openly you talk about pleasuring yourself on your Instagram. Can you talk to why this is so important for women generally and more specifically in their 20s um, in understanding their own sexual preferences in the bedroom? And then being able to take them to their sexual partners. I guess like if it's something that feels... Um, you know, important to your well-being, I guess, um, and you know, prioritizing pleasure um, and self-pleasure in any form. It's not necessarily for everybody, and that's okay too. But being open to exploring and understanding your sexual preferences, I guess, means that you have experiences that that feel satisfying, and it allows you to express yourself as a sexual person if that's who you feel like you are. But it also helps, you know, connect your mind and body, you know, appreciate your body, meet yourself in a way where your sexual needs are fulfilled. And I guess we can actually start with really basic everyday forms of pleasure and then building on that and slowly working towards sexual pleasure because jumping in, and, and understanding and exploring sexual preferences can be really hard straight away. And I guess if you decide to sort of step in and, and be your own uh, pleasure advocate and, and understand what pleasure means for you and what sexual preferences work really well for you, you're less likely to tolerate sexual experiences that are uncomfortable or that are unwanted or that are painful or that are unsatisfying and you're really challenging systems that say you have to tolerate stuff that you um, have to do something for the sake of your partner rather than doing things that you want and enjoy. I guess there's kind of like following on from that. So again, a bit of background, we've chatted briefly because you've done some work for the sex blog. And so I was actually spent the last two hours researching discrete vibrators for females. (laughs) Um, And so we wanted to ask you, Obviously, there are so many on the market. Is it okay and is it normal to use vibrators and other sex toys with a partner and with yourself, I guess? Uh, Absolutely. It's so okay. Using sex toys really only add to sexual experiences. They kind of like automate a manual process and it becomes more reliable and it can become more fun and it can become a lot easier. And a lot of people find that they, they want sex more regularly or they enjoy sex more if they're allowed to explore uh, and incorporate sex toys because that's just one way of sort of um, meeting their pleasure needs um, without sort of exhausting their hand without relying like heavily on their partners and but sex toys like a a very common thing that people ask me um, are about like is it okay to use it with a partner because my partner might be um not okay with it or my partner might be jealous yeah and and to people you know that have that experiences um I would say sex toys aren't competition like a sex toy or an aid it doesn't replace a partner it only adds to the pleasure and if your partner's worried that they're going to be replaced by a sex toy which is a very real concern that some cis men have um it's okay to acknowledge their feelings and let them know that sex toys are about prioritizing pleasure and making sex better in addition to a partner but they don't replace a partner like sex toys don't um you know give or receive love they don't make you feel desired they don't help you feel emotionally connected sex 
um, sex toys don't do that, but partners do those things. And that's why people have sex. I guess it comes back to what we were saying before, like a sex toy can't provide like the emotional or intellectual oh, intimacy that a human a can. Toy, <laughs> a sex toy won't spoon you in either. <laughs> well, debatable. <laughs> so there seems to be this innuendo out there at the moment that they can cause desensitization to um, women if used often. Is this true? And can you explain where this misconception comes from? Doing a bit of myth busters yeah. over here. <laughs> Uh, I would love to. Um, no, vibrators cannot desensitize your genitals and any feelings of, say, overstimulation that you might have or feeling numb after like a long period of, of use um, are only very temporary and they're not uh, damaging your nerves um, and they're not hurting your genitals in any way. Um, but this, you know, really pervasive myth creates so much shame uh, around sexual pleasure um I'm not quite sure where it came from but to me it seems likely a myth of the patriarchy that you know automating women's pleasure and women prioritizing their pleasure on their own using sex toys um can get in the way of uh, men's pleasure um and also because you know there's this myth that um women's sexuality women's bodies are sort of secondary to men's it's kind of like you know men light and that um if we don't do things like men do then there must be something wrong with us um and that's kind of where I think it comes from but I, I really don't know so if you know, let me know. <laughs> no, no we're definitely not the experts we're relying on you here <laughs> Um, so moving to like a bit of a different topic, can you talk to us about the relationship between body image and confidence in the bedroom and how we can kind of like let go of our inhibitions and focus on pleasure rather than how we look in that moment? I know that like in your early 20s in particular or throughout your entire 20s and even throughout your entire life, how you look, everyone has insecurities and I feel like in the bedroom those insecurities are fully out on display. So how do you get past that and like actually be present in the moment and enjoy it rather than just being in your head being like, oh, what does do my I butt look, look okay like? From this <laughs> angle? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you've been taught that your body is broken or it's wrong or it's bad or it's ugly, you're likely to experience like really intense feelings of shame or disgust. Um, and these emotions, you know, kind of show up in in a desire to hide or to to not be seen and you might be very judgmental of yourself or you might um, punish yourself or restrict pleasure and other things that you really enjoy you might not take up space um, you might only feel comfortable being in the dark um, you might find it really hard to communicate your preferences or you know your boundaries um, and you might do things that you don't want to do because you've been taught that if you didn't, who else would want you? And so you're sort of doing these things um, because you don't think you have another option, like you're sort of settling. Um, and and it's very difficult to let go of, you know, your inhibitions. I guess that's why people turn to alcohol or other substances to, to release those, those like judgmental thoughts or um, sort of shift away from the headspace where they're, being overly judgmental and harsh towards themselves so that they can actually ask for what they want or say no to things that they don't want. Um, but instead of letting go of inhibitions, we can actually potentially, well, lifelong work again um, towards body neutrality or towards body acceptance rather than body judgment. Um, and sometimes you need professional support in this, but there's a lot that you can do on your own as well. Um, in the moment, for example, you can you can shift your focus away from from the thoughts, thinking about how your body looks or how your body's functions or or not functioning in the way that you want it to, um, and you can focus on your five senses. Um, you can focus on um, like internal cues, like your breathing or your heart rate, uh, or you can focus on your partner's body the warmth and the texture of their skin or you can focus on their breath or heart rate you're sort of shifting your attention from really prominent strong uncomfortable intrusive thoughts that say you're not good enough or you know you should feel worried about what your partner's thinking about how you look to actually 
being present in your body, which makes a big difference. And, you know, when you're present, you're able to build arousal, you're able to experience pleasure, you're actually able to be in the present moment and enjoy. Mm, So kind of like grounding yourself in the experience, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It is a grounding process of focusing on senses or focusing on um, something else that's happening, but you're really sort of embodying it rather than sort of being in your head the whole time or having a very logical experience, which doesn't necessarily translate to an enjoyable experience and can be a very stressful experience. And also, you know that when you're with a partner, that they already find you attractive, that they already desire you, they're there for you, they know what you look like. It's often the fact that you're in your head worrying about like, you know, how you look from a certain angle or not feeling, you know, comfortable or confident enough in your body. It's not really, you know, your partner's not sharing that experience and not sharing those thoughts you're having about yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. Remembering that they're just your thoughts. Mm, Yeah. Okay, so we've all seen that viral sex video of Jay Alvarez using coconut oil as lube, although it does require a bit of digging to find. Does I haven't seen it. Oh, haven't you seen it? I haven't either. What? <laughs> Guys. I've heard about it, but I haven't. Only you. <laughs> well, okay, we haven't all seen that video. In the video, um, Jay Alvarez used, I'll just inline you all here, um, coconut oil as lube. Um, and then coconut oil sales skyrocketed because everyone thought they should be using coconut oil and it was great for great sex. Is this product actually healthy for our genitals like men and women I think this is also interesting because before this whole Jay Alvarez video came out a lot of my friends were on the coconut oil train as well they were already on it yeah 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 it's actually a really um really common question and there was a period where the questions around it like peaked and that's maybe it was that maybe that's why (laughs) (laughs) um but for many people coconut oil is a safe enough option um as lube there is some evidence to suggest that maybe coconut oil can increase risk of, um, you know, thrush or other yeast infections because it kind of like is a sugar and it's not pH neutral. Um, but it is a great uh, massage oil for all parts of the body and it you can eat it, you know, it doesn't taste terrible um, and it's, it's slippery. Um, oil lubes are a type of lube, um, but like other types of oil-based lubes, it's not safe to use with latex condoms because, you know, the oil degrades the condoms. Um, and so in that sense, um, because it is degrading your safer sex supplies, it becomes unsafe to use in, in terms of unwanted pregnancy risks or um, STI risks can increase. So use with caution. <laughs> Um, You can use it across lots of parts of your body, which is a great thing. And it can feel really slippery and smooth and it's not drying. And so, yeah, good points. I wanted to know what you thought, because, yeah, I had read some things that said um, it changed. It could affect the pH of, um, well, I read about women's (laughs) genitals, but I wasn't sure as well if it affected men. But yes. I also just think about, wow, like, coconut oil would make quite a mess, wouldn't it, on also, your sheets? Also, isn't coconut oil pretty expensive? That too. <laughs> Is that something you want to be, like, charging through? <laughs> I guess if, like, you've got nothing Actually, on hand and it's in the pantry. Sex <laughs> yeah, coconut oil will stain your sheets yeah, as well. that's so what I... Like, you have to wash it. Because it's oil. Yeah, wash it in, like, hot soapy water to get that out. Oh, who's yeah. got time to wash their sheets? <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's just, like, not go into how many times a week I have sex. <laughs> or how many times you wash your sheets. Well, I wash my sheets, like, once a week, but I don't want to have to do it right after I have sex. <laughs> yeah, this is true. And then you're just sleeping in oil. No. Anyway, let's, let's move on, on from <laughs> that. Um, but keeping to the same topic. So what's your favourite lube product or products and why? Um, so recently, like in the last maybe six months to a year, um, I've discovered two new lubes. So um, the first one is Libido. It's spelled L-B-D-O by Rachel Baker. Um, and, you know, it's an emerging sexual wellness brand. It hasn't launched yet, but I've been like very fortunate to try some samples of it. Ooh, um, and I really cute. like it because it's an it's an ethical brand. Oh, um, you know, it's, sorry, it's a, a natural water-based lube and it's made in Australia with native and, and natural ingredients. 
Um, but I really like that it is a sustainable product. It's not greasy. It's smooth. Um, it's silky and it's long lasting, which I think is important for a water-based lube because with water-based lubes, your your body absorbs them mm-hmm. quickly um, and you have to keep reapplying and that can then get expensive if you're having to use so much. But also if it dries up quickly, you're at an increased risk, uh, risk sorry, of, of um, friction or tears if you're not applying um, very often. So it does, it, it launches later this month, I think, um, and oh. I'll share the link with you, yes, I guess. Yes, but the other one um, is from Frenchie, and I think oh, it's this called... This is what I'm using. Frenchie. Um, la yeah. Lube or yeah. Love Lube. Yeah. Ooh La Love Lube. And I, I also <laughs> like it because, again, it's another water-based lube with, you know, natural um, and native products, and it is long-lasting and it's smooth and they're all... They're both hypoallergenic and they're pH balanced and they don't have glycerin like sugars or, you know, paraben like chemicals in them. So it's it's better for your body. Um, so they're the ones that I've discovered lately that I really enjoy. And it's hard to find a good water-based lube. Now I like I know. that you said Frenchie because that's what I'm using. So I'm feeling good about that because that's exactly oh, why I chose it as well. It? Yeah, I, I chose it because of the same reasons as you, like that it was a bit more of a sustainable brand um, and that like water-based and stuff just seemed a bit... Um, I don't know, better for downstairs. <laughs> I get a little bit scared with what I'm using, um, but I have been enjoy- enjoying it. And I also like they have um, hyaluronic um, acid, like condoms or something as well, which Interesting. is pretty cool. Now yeah. I know Frenchie's why. very cool. Yeah. I'll send you the link and you can pop it in the well, yes. Yeah, we'll pop it in the show notes. But also now I know why Blooming our Instagram page is following Frenchie. <laughs> oh yeah, that was me. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember following this brand. What is this brand? And then I clicked on it and I was like, oh, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> so that like same thing with your partner. Sometimes using a lube, you can like, I don't know, sometimes as a, a female, you can feel like maybe you're not doing your job right if you're not wet enough or mm. if you're not creating enough wetness and then you have to use, well, you don't have to, but you it's good to use lube and you were mentioning that if you're not lubricated enough, you can cause tears and things like that. So should there be like shame around using lube? Absolutely not. Lube is fantastic. I think you should use lube every single time you have a sexual encounter, whether you're having penetrative sex or other kinds of sex, because you can't rely on your body to produce natural lubrication. In fact, like, you know, Um, there's this thing called arousal non-concordance. It's the fact that there's no overlap between what your genitals are doing and how aroused you're feeling. So you can be very mentally aroused, but your body hasn't caught up yet. So you're not producing lubrication. You might not be um, fully erect. You might not, you know, even have an erection at all. And that's okay. Your body's not communicating your enjoyment or your liking it's very separate. So, um, you know, if you're having a sexual encounter with somebody, but you're not lubricated, that doesn't mean that you're not enjoying it. And using lube instead is so important. Okay. I'm glad Mm. we got that, got to the bottom of that. Yeah, that is good. I like know what you're talking about. I've definitely sometimes felt like it's my fault if I'm not, yeah, like wet enough for sex. So I'm sure that's a common feeling that women have. So I feel like we should just say everyone use lube all the time. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, And on that note, like on arousal non-concordance, there's only a small amount of overlap between how aroused you're feeling mentally and how how aroused you are um, in your body. And actually did an article on the sex blog about it. Um, I was about to say, I know a little bit about this because I've read that article. (laughs) um, And sometimes partners will assume that lubrication is you consenting but it's not at all what your body what your what your body is doing what your genitals are doing is not um, confirmation or you know consent you can be lubricated and not enjoying or not wanting or not even aroused it's just a physical automatic response that happens that's so interesting. That's really important. Mm. Yeah. Um, so moving on, we know you talk about and work with challenges over different desire levels. How do you think this should be navigated in relationships? Do you have any tips? Um, yes, it's, it's okay and it's normal to be in a relationship and experience different levels of desire or desire discrepancies. 
and it's something that most people in sexual or romantic relationships will encounter at some time because desire fluctuates and because often you're not going to enter a relationship with somebody that's exactly the same as you but also desire is so impacted by life factors. It's impacted by stress and trauma and oppression, working a lot and not having pleasurable sex or like all the things that we've talked about pretty much like impact your interest in sex at any time. And I guess an important part of navigating is to understand what's going on. Like if you know what's contributing to the desire differences, um, it, helps to make sense of it and it feels less painful it feels less personal and often it's the partner with the higher level of desire that tends to assume it's because of them that their partner no longer finds them attractive or doesn't want to be with them anymore or you know there's something wrong with the relationship so they take it as a sign that there's a problem and it feels hurtful and there's a lot of um, rejection there and that can sort of lead on to other longer term problems or resentment or you know everything and so what can really help with sort of navigating the desired differences is redefining what sex can look like which is a really big part um, of sometimes some reasons why people don't want to be sexually intimate if sex is routine if sex always looks the same if sex isn't about your pleasure but somebody else's um, if sex isn't pleasurable then of course you won't really feel like sex. So if sex can be flexible, if it can be redefined, if it can be broadened, then you have more opportunities to connect in a sexual way rather than sex just equaling penetration because you might not feel like that most times. That's been um, covered on the sex blog as well, that like sex shouldn't be defined as penetration. It needs to be redefined, um, which I find to be like a really interesting topic. Um, Absolutely. We can redefine sex and we can redefine foreplay and we can redefine pleasure and beauty standards because, you know, the social definition is often uh, heteronormative, homophobic, ableist. There's so many problems with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so expanding and deciding for yourself what sex can look like so that it centres your pleasure is a really important thing. But I guess then figuring out, like, what needs sex meets because sex stands in for a lot of things and and meeting those needs in a different way. So it might be you might be having sex to feel connected or to, you know, give or receive love or to, you know, feel desired or to experience pleasure. And, you know, you, you'll feel unsatisfied if those needs are going unmet. So if you can figure out what your need is and find another way to meet them, like go on an adventure together or have deep emotional connections or have you know good intellectual conversations you might be able to meet those needs other ways and that takes the pressure off your relationship last point on this one um but um like around around pressure there's this thing um called the pursue or distance a dynamic and it's where um you know the person with the higher desire might chase the person with the lower desire and that places a lot of pressure on them and they can feel like their only opportunity or the only way to have control in the situation is to pull away further and so taking the pressure off and creating space for the partner to choose sex is another really important part of sort of dealing with desire differences I feel like that leads really well into our next question too. Yeah. So like Tessa and I, I guess have been having discussions about this and I know amongst the people that I know, the amount of times people have sex on average throughout the week varies so much. Um, like everyone's sex life looks different and everyone likes different things. Can you address the idea that there is a normal or healthy way to structure your sex life to create a healthy and intimate relationship? Or is it okay that everyone's normal is different? Like, should we be even comparing our sex lives to that of others? We shouldn't really be comparing our sex lives. And it's okay that everyone's normal is different because everybody has different wants, needs and preferences or, you know, past experiences everybody is different but we are socialized to compare against other people um and it's it really is setting us up to fail because then there's no amount of sex or no kind of sex that can ever be good enough because you're comparing to somebody else Um, but we do live in a world that you know teaches us um, scarcity teaches us that uh, other people um you know are better off that the grass is greener um and 
you know, it makes it really hard to go through the world and feel satisfied when it feels like, you know, whatever your experience is, it's just not enough. Yeah, I know, like, there's always articles in magazines that are like, like women's targeted um, magazines and they're like, how many times should you be having sex a week? Or like, take our quiz. Yeah, <laughs> or like, is your sex life like healthy, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like... Just How so can much you false even? information out yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. And it's like oh, so hard to get a right answer. <laughs> Well, that's why people like you exist and I think it's so good how much you share and like how generous you are with your knowledge and time and like expertise because without people like you that's what we all fall into the trap of. Thank you for that that's really sweet and also I just wanted to add like it's okay to to not want sex or to not have regular sex like those things aren't signs of a doomed relationship they're not really signs of relationship quality I guess you know quality and and quantity of sex it it fluctuates and the change is okay it's normal it's not the sign of bigger issues and comparing ourselves to others makes us feel like yes we have to work towards we have to fix this problem that isn't really even a problem yeah I can imagine and so linking like like having less sex and we want to talk a little bit about like chronic illness that affects your like sex life um so I have suspected endometriosis and a disease like that disease a common symptom of it is painful sex um which I mean yeah it can deter people from wanting to have sex obviously if sex is painful for you so can you please talk on painful sex regardless of from endometriosis or a different condition and navigating this in your 20s without feeling embarrassed or ashamed many people experience either painful sex or or genital pain or pelvic pain that like you said, it can be really difficult to have satisfying and pleasurable sex, especially if sex looks one way, especially if you have genital pain and you're, you know, expected or you feel like the only real kind of sex is penetrative sex. Um, but pain is like a sign that something is going on or that something needs to be acknowledged, like whether it's um you know, pain from bracing because you're, you know, afraid that sex will be painful or you're, um, you know, you're taught to tolerate and do things that you don't want to do or you're having sex when you're not aroused, like all those things, um, you know, will make sex quite painful. Um, But in saying that, like, you know, pain during sex is not something that you have to endure and it's not something that you have to face on your own um, you can reach out to communities like having conversations around pain especially as things like endometriosis to figure out how are other people navigating that how are other people still having pleasurable sex lives when they're in a lot of pain or when they're exhausted from meds or when their body is just so sore and they're disconnected from it because all they've been through with you know their chronic illness um you have you have resources out there there are people that you can go to and you know if if you experience pain in any form know that you are not broken that your body is not broken and it has not failed you and you haven't failed your partners your your pain is real and i know a lot of people's pain is sort of um, not diagnosed, not acknowledged, told that it's in their in head, their head. Um, yeah. <laughs> or that they're using that pain as an excuse. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that these things are true and that your pain is real and it's okay to, you know, not be able to have a certain kind of sex because your body isn't ready for it or isn't up to it um, and, you know, prioritizing your rest, prioritizing your pleasure despite all these things in a culture that says you should endure and your pain is not valid um, is kind of like the way the way to sort of navigate a very difficult experience. I think that's a really good point and yeah like from both of these last two questions I think it is really hard when you feel like you're alone in it and when you're the only one feeling a certain way so it is so important to talk to the people around you and that is another reason why we wanted to get you on here today because I think getting getting our community talking about sex and everything that comes with that like intimacy is just such an important topic for yeah. people in their 20s. I agree and I think that it's 
like we especially in this podcast have found that if we talk about things the amount of people who will come to us and be like oh my gosh I'm so glad you talked about that because I've been feeling that too and didn't think anyone else was feeling that way so I think it is yeah good to know that you're not alone and opening up those communication channels and being able to talk to people who are experiencing the same thing and getting tips from each other is just like a really important thing and that's hopefully what we're using this platform to do a little bit. (laughs) So I know that you personally see some people with chronic illnesses and how to navigate having sex through that Um, but even more generally how can seeing a sexologist like yourself change your life in your 20s or your sex life in your 20s? Um, Working with a sexologist like myself um, like I can offer a safer um, non-judgmental space where you can be supported to either better understand yourself or your experiences or better understand your partners or, you know, whatever's going on for you through a lens that is anti-oppressive and through a lens that is non-pathologizing. So that means like, I'm not going to say that, you know, this is a problem with your body and this is how I'm going to fix it because there's nothing wrong with your body. Your body's just, your body's just your body and your body's doing what it does and that's okay But, you know, working with a sexologist, um, you know, you can learn ways to deal with anxiety or figure out what's actually pleasurable for you and and what do you want. Um, But it's also a trauma-informed space where you can gradually shift from a really judgmental um, space where you can um, get support in dealing with shame and anxiety and fear and move into a place of curiosity and recognize that, you're not broken, that you're not wrong or you're not the problem and that it's just the world which is very unsafe, um, harmful, violent space and, you know, your response, your sexual challenge, whatever you're going through is a normal response to a very difficult situation. Um, so sexual support is collaborative as well. It's, you know, the focus of it is whatever you think is important because you are the expert in your own lives um and you know I'm someone that has resources and knowledge that I can share with you so that you can understand yourself more a bit better okay so people in their 20s in your opinion what are the most important sexual practices that we should be doing I guess I'm going to answer this a little bit differently from maybe what you mean but um (laughs) I I would say the most important sexual practice at least from from my perspective um is deciding to reclaim sex and pleasure for yourself and this could be anything from like unpacking and and learning how to deal with shame or um redefining sex and pleasure and beauty for yourself or deciding to challenge systems of oppression that teach us all to tolerate pain or tolerate discomfort or have unwanted sex for the sake of other people's pleasure and you know maybe it even just looks like you know being a little bit less judgmental of yourself or being non-judgmental of other people's sexuality sex and pleasure experiences or deciding to be a pleasure advocate for for people that have less privilege uh, less privilege sorry than you do um that's what I would say uh like is a really important sexual practice it's not a sexual activity but it's Changing the, changing the way that you think about sex and unlearning all the shameful sex negative messages that you've been socialized into. I actually love that answer though. That, that was like yeah. the perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so final question. With all this being said, what is one piece of advice you would give people in their 20s navigating sex and finding a healthy sex life? I always find this to be the most challenging question because I never just have one sort of piece that I think is important to share. But I guess that's what the whole podcast has been about. But um, I guess for for now, I would say that there are so many shoulds that can dictate your sex life. Um, There are so many shoulds that dictate your pleasure experiences and what's okay and, you know, your relationship with your body and your relationship with other people. And it's okay to decide to break away from those shoulds or um, to explore things that you want and that actually work for you or setting boundaries and communicating the things that don't really work so that you can say yes to yourself. Um, It's possible to be your own pleasure advocate and to be a pleasure advocate for other people even if you don't want sex or if you don't enjoy sex or you're um, asexual or you haven't had sex or you're not a sexual person, 
pleasure really does come in like so many forms. You can experience sexual pleasure, physical, emotional, um, intellectual, social, relational, spiritual, um, you know, it's happens in so many ways and sex is just one way to experience it. So you can expand and redefine things for yourself because that's just one way that we challenge oppression and make space for people that have been excluded or people that have experienced trauma or violence and all things like that. What a great way to end the chat. Yeah, that yeah. was good. That was like, again, perfect answer. Perfect answer. <laughs> well, oh, thank I'm you. Oh, I'm Well, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today, Cass. It's been such an informative and interesting chat. Yes, we are beyond grateful that you made the time for us and we appreciate you coming on here to help us open up conversations about sex and help people in their 20s to feel empowered by intimacy. If you want to hear more from Cass, please go follow her on Instagram at Pleasure Centered Sexology. I know I have found your Insta so helpful. You provide such complex information in such an engaging and digestible format. So we will pop the link to her profile in our episode notes. Yes, and we'll also leave the link to Cass's website in our show notes if you'd like to book in an appointment with her I know you do take appointments virtually so it's not just for people based in Melbourne thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure chatting to you and yeah love being here I think these are such valuable conversations and the more of them that I can have the happier I will be or or, you know we're challenging sex negative cultures with each like new conversation And let's round this episode off by talking Adulting 101, our weekly resource or recommendation that we found helpful in navigating our 20s. Britt, do you want to start? Yes, sure. So I have a bit of a basic bitch resource (laughs) this week, but okay, it's Bang & Body. Have you heard of Bang & Body? I have, and I've been so close to buying so many Mm. times, but I'm worried it's one of those products that just Instagram influencers have hyped up, and so I don't know if it's good or not or worth the money. I'm literally going to be the hype man today because I was the same, like they've got really clever like Instagram like influencers I guess marketing the product Mm. it's all over Instagram right the reviews actually don't lie the tube smells so good I could literally eat the whole tube (laughs) but that no that's a joke please don't eat it I'm pretty sure it's not edible (laughs) toxic toxic (laughs) I actually bought my first tube when they had the limited edition pink tube for breast cancer so I was like you yeah and I, I wasn't sure if I should try it but this was um they brought this one out and I was like well ten dollars from the I think they $48 or something that's pretty good $10 was going to breast cancer per tube so I was like that is definitely worth the cause I'll just I'll just try it and I loved it I've bought like a few now when I was getting some stuff to do this segment I actually went on and bought two more more. (laughs) (laughs) I've only actually tried the original so the yellow one Mm -hmm. um the Are there other types? Before mentioned delicious smelling one. Yeah. So there's also a scrub. Um, there's also a shimmery like glow one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've also just bought out a skincare range, which I haven't actually tried, but I'd love to know if anyone in our community has tried it. So please slide in our, into our DMs at blooming.podcast and let me know your reviews because I'd be keen to try it. But I love the yellow tube. So it has like all of these benefits that it talks about, like reducing the appearance of redness, bumps, breakouts. It's got like all of these Australian ingredients and the tubes are 100% recyclable, have BPA-free lining and are eco-friendly, made with eco-friendly print dyes. Look, that's a lot of ticks there. Right. right? And natural, vegan, cruelty-free, obviously. Winner, winner. Not even obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, maybe there's a recommendation from me, but um, yeah, it's just like, and it's super hydrating. It like, um, they claim that it reduces, um, oh, like it's firming. That's one of the main key factors. you, You use it on your face or your body? So it's both. And that's another thing. So I had only been using it on my body, um, just as like my body moisturizer, Mm -hmm. mainly on my legs. My legs get really dry, but I think I mentioned as well on a previous or well, recent episode that I was breaking out a little bit yeah. um, from changing products and I I didn't know if it was my cleanser or my because I, I changed my cleanser and my moisturizer at the same time. Rookie, Rookie error. error. You have taught me better than that. <laughs> I know. Anyways, I just you always run out of everything at the same time. Um, but I I what I thought it was a cleanser. 
actually I'm thinking now it's a moisturizer. So I tried this on my face as like a, cause it claims, you know, yeah, like being good for breakouts and that type of thing, mm. like anti-redness. And I tried this and I like, it's made my skin so much better. I've literally only been using it for a few days. That's so good. Yeah. So good to know. I know. So I didn't know. Yeah, I thought it would be too thick for my face, but it's actually not. Because like when you feel yeah, that's it. that's what I get worried about too. And I, I have oily combo skin. So I usually I don't go for a moisturizer that's really thick. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know what? I'm at wit's end at the moment with my skin. I just need to try something. And it was good that you had, could try something that you already had. So you didn't have to go and exactly. buy something that you wouldn't know if it worked Potentially not, not going to use. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I love it. I'm literally going to keep using it on my face now because I've been really enjoying the results. It doesn't go super shiny if I have like BB cream or anything over the top for work. So you can use it morning and night. Mm-hmm. Mm, I used good. it a little bit thicker last night as kind of a, you know, mask. hydration overnight. Yeah, little mask. But I did it a little bit lighter for the daytime. And I usually like you see me at the end of the day. <laughs> I usually have the shiniest face. But today, it's fine. Well, you look, you've, you've convinced me <laughs> to maybe try some. It just smells so good too. Like you'll understand. It's addicting. <laughs> I just get like, you say it smells so good. I just get like a little bit nervy because I get really bad eczema. And so usually fragrance flares that up. Right. So I usually don't use anything with fragrance. Well, you're in luck, my friend. They have a fragrance-free option. Oh, yeah. stop it. They have the original tube in a fragrance-free version. Okay, I mm-hmm. will definitely check that out then. Please do. One more point. They actually have some really fun bundles as well, which I feel like are a really good gift idea. I know we just had Mother's Day. I mean, it also said don't buy your mother's <laughs> gift. <laughs> but I think it would be like a great idea and I would definitely love to receive a banging like bundle as a gift okay I'm just gonna like add that to my note for what to get you for your birthday (laughs) (laughs) but anyway now that we've got my birthday present sorted three months early (laughs) what is your resource this week so I thought I'd kind of stick to similar topic we did touch on this Um, hey mine was kind of you know like feeling your body smoothing (laughs) the body I feel like that's a bit of a stretch (laughs) smelling good (laughs) don't use it for lube oh yeah don't Um, Cass will not approve that (laughs) recommendation but yes so um I mentioned when we did my health episode um that I wanted to read how to endo by Bridget Husswaite you read it I finally got my hands on it and I read it and I also actually met Bridget at a endometriosis awareness event by Quendo, which was just like a fan girl amazing moment. I think we posted that to our stories. Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. It was oh it was just like I amazing. was fangirling from afar. Mm, I just I'm obsessed with her. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed this book. I got through it so quickly because I was just like so engorged is that what yeah (laughs) gripped is better word (laughs) but yeah so it didn't like I would I will say it didn't particularly give me any like brand new info but that's probably because I'm like pretty well well, yeah researched up on it and I also follow Bridget pretty closely but it did like what it did do is really help me connect the dots on some of my symptoms of being like oh my gosh I didn't realize that was necessarily because of that that, or that could be because of that and like maybe just yet like link a few things Mm. um it also gave some really helpful ideas like questions to ask for like pre and post surgery Mm -hmm. which I thought that was like really important so that you could just like take a list in with you to the doctors and and feel more confident going into such a big life decision Yeah, yeah because it and it can be hard to like know what the right questions are or to get in there think you have prepared all these questions and you get in there and you forget all of them and Mm. um things like that so I think those were really good and she also like weaves her story into it so well like it doesn't overwhelm the book but it's like in there enough that it's like a really good personal connection and you do feel like you're kind of bonding to her and her story um I will just say for if anyone else out there does suffer endometriosis I know that when you're going through your own trauma and your own pain it can be a bit exhausting to then read about someone else's pain and I don't know if that could be like a bit of a trigger so I just I will just like flag that that like if you're going through a really bad endo flare-up probably not the best time to read it because you might be like just a bit drained by it and I also really loved the language she used and how inclusive the book was like even though her experience is 
as like a cisgendered female mm-hmm. with female genitalia, like she did talk about like the trans community and all of that and did touch on those things as well, which I found That's interesting. Awesome. Yeah. And I think even I would be interested to learn even more about mm. like that side of it as well. But yeah. I mean, like there's not enough talked about endo full stop but I mean to expand it to every kind of person who could possibly be suffering for it that's pretty awesome for a book yeah exactly and so she just kind of yeah touched on it and made me think oh okay I need to go and do some more research Mm. about this um I also thought that it was a really good read for those who not only have like diagnosed endo or suspected endo but also for those who like love someone who are Mm. living with it or living yeah like with chronic illness um in particular I think it's the last chapter it's a chapter specifically for loved ones of people in the endo community and it was like a really good thing well I don't know even if you just read the last chapter and maybe the first chapter it made me think that I could give this to people in my life who maybe don't quite understand and then they just will understand it a little bit more. That's a great resource. Well, yes, when you get a break in your list, please pass it to me, add me to the bottom of the list so I get a chance. So yeah, well, I was going to say I wanted to like pull some of my favourite quotes, but then I remembered I've yeah got a very long list of people who want to borrow it and it's already with its next <laughs> friend. listening to another in bloom episode of blooming featuring Cass. if you're enjoying our little podcast baby please let us know by leaving us a rating or review because you know algorithm things and also by hitting the subscribe button in apple podcasts or follow on spotify and please come find us on instagram at blooming.podcast and tag us in your stories to show us how you're listening to blooming or using one of our adulting 101 resources reading how to endo exactly using banging body rubbing it on yourself (laughs) maybe not maybe not that one Um, DM us your thoughts on this episode as well. We'd love to know if you learned something from this episode or if you just want to talk to us about something you heard on this episode. We have all ears. Um, And also don't forget to tune into our weekly Monday polls to have your say on this week's episode. And if there's anyone you'd like us to interview, send them our way. We're on a roll with our like interviewing people. Mums one week, sexologists the next. (laughs) Chat next week, buds. Bye. I said it. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm getting navigating wrong again. (laughs) That's such a gross segment. (laughs) Uh.